Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Rather than using their body to serve Christ and follow him, they want to serve their body as the highest order through indulgence or gluttony or drunkenness or sexual sin. A lot of times we think, okay, we're so different from the Philippians. Now, in the Roman culture, sexual sin was pervasive. It was everywhere. And in our culture today, it's almost become the third rail. If anyone has the audacity to tell us how to run our sex lives, we balk, right? Because our true God is being able to fulfill whatever appetites that we have. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hoping God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Our fallen flesh has an unending appetite for wickedness and sin. Scripture warns against using the grace of God as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. In today's message, Pastor Ricky challenges us to deny our sinful natures in order to follow Christ. When we submit to God's will, we don't leave room for the flesh to control our behaviors. Our bodies are the temple of God and should be used in His service. Therefore, we must die daily to our selfish will in order to become more and more like Jesus. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, Guides and Getting Home, from the book of Philippians, chapter three. Paul is not shy about saying, look, these men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these men are outstanding. Letter after letter, Paul will commend leaders or servants in the church. So leadership in the church should not be perfect, should be as faithful as it can be, but it will not be perfect but it should be faithful, it should be Jesus-shaped, and it should be commended. Friends, we need to end this section, though, by looking not just at human leaders, but the example of Jesus. We can't end this section without bringing the context of Philippians into this. The whole encouragement to follow men like Paul is in the context of Paul holding out the example of Jesus. See, this section starts when Paul says, have this mind of service among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he lays out what Jesus has done to humble himself, to save us, and is now being exalted by God. And Paul is saying, listen, that is the example. That is the leader. That is the guide. The reality is this, church. Our leaders will fail and falter. We will fail each other, but ultimately, we're following Jesus, and Jesus will never fail. In Jesus, God has given us a guide that will never leave us, will never forsake us, never steer us wrong, and ultimately, we follow Jesus. And we follow others who are faithfully following Jesus, but ultimately, we follow the Lord. He is the guide with a capital G. That's section one. The next two sections will be briefer, but are important. Section number two, the threat. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So there is a danger. So Paul says, listen, you need a good guide because it is dangerous out there. These enemies of the cross are, are probably not of the Judaizers that Paul was referring to earlier. This is a separate group of dangerous people. 
We don't have all the details about this group, but they are concerned with worldly things. They are all about their senses and their bodies. And they may have been essentially licentious people who said, listen, Jesus has come. He saved us. He's paid for our sins. So just do whatever you want, man. Do whatever. Jesus forgives it. And it's great news. No, Paul says, no. Some of these people were probably visiting teachers who came to the church. Some may have been former members of the Philippian church. So for us, though, I think to get this section, we need to ask, where do we encounter these like bad guides, these bad people, these bad, dangerous people? Because I don't know about you, but nobody has like rolled up to my house in a white, sketchy, unmarked van and said, hey, kids, our God is our belly and we love to glory in our shame because we're short-sighted fools. Join us in the van. It'd be a lot easier if that was the case. If like, if that would happen, like, oh, that's a bad person. No. So, so where do we encounter th- these kinds of things? Well, first, friendships. Friendships. The Bible has a lot to say about being careful who our friends are, who we most connect with, who we imitate. Listen, the reality is this. A year from now, you will look more like your friends than you do this year. So ask yourself, do you want to look more like your friends in a year from now? Are they leading you in the right direction, the faithful path of Christ? The second, though, is the area of unchosen connections. These are families and workplaces and people that we can't really choose whether or not we are around, right? But I think it's important to note, being around somebody, again, is different from following them. Proximity is different from following them. And we can choose whether or not to be influenced by them, whether or not to say, you know what, the way that they're living life, that's the way I'm going to live life. Or the way they're living life, I'm not going to live that way. Another category is media. I'm going to add this into friendships because I think this is important. The average American is now consuming um, eight to 10 hours of content every day in one form of an, or another. YouTube, Facebook, movies, TV, Netflix, podcast. Uh, many of us will spend more time with characters on screen than we do with our actual friends, right? And make no mistake, you are getting influenced. You're going to look a little bit more. You're going to think a little bit more like the characters that you spend time with, like the shows that you spend time with. So ask yourself, a year from now, do I want to have the worldview of these people that I spend so much time with or the shows that I spend so much time with? Those are the places we encounter people. And Paul says, listen, the threat is widespread. There are many of these people. And how do we identify these enemies then? Well, here are some clues. First, their God is their belly. Now, this probably does not literally mean that they gathered for worship at 9 a.m. at Krispy Kreme and held their hands up as they indulged. I've stopped on occasion for a Krispy Kreme donut on the way to church, so I'm not judging. But that's not what this means. The God is their belly comment is referring to their carnal and fleshly appetites. Alec Mateer comments that in one Christian, the temptation may be towards sexual sin, and another towards gossiping, and another toward lying in bed instead of being alone with God in the morning. The bodily sin is never far beneath the surface of even the most advanced saint, and the warning is always necessary. So rather than using their body to serve Christ and follow him, they want to 
serve their body as the highest order through indulgence or gluttony or drunkenness or sexual sin. A lot of times we think, okay, we're so different from the Philippians. No, in the Roman culture, sexual sin was pervasive. It was everywhere. And in our culture today, it's almost become the third rail. If anyone has the audacity to tell us how to run our sex lives, we balk, right? Because our true God is being able to fulfill whatever appetites that we have. Our culture says that you're not expressing your, if, if you're not expressing your sexuality according to whatever whim you feel, then you're repressed, you're backwards, you're inhuman. But the Bible says that sex is a wonderful gift, but it makes a horrible God. Sex is a wonderful gift in the context of marriage, but it makes a horrible God. And this is what Paul is warning against. Be careful against this kind of thinking. Second, they glory in their shame. Meaning that the things that they should be ashamed of, they parade around as their glory, right? Their morality doesn't conform to Jesus' example. They do the things that Jesus hated and turned away from, and they're proud about it. I read an article this week by a woman who has had several affairs with married men who basically is arguing in the post that our sexuality was not meant to be confined and we should embrace and hold up the the cultural value of being monogamish. Not monogamous, but monogamish, sort of, generally, sometimes, when it's convenient. This is what Paul is addressing, part of what Paul is addressing here. And third, you can identify them because their minds are set on earthly things. They're not looking ahead to eternity, but only to the here and now. They're short-sighted. There's no view of heaven. There's no view of eternity. It's all the materialistic world of what is around them, what sounds good, what feels good, what tastes good, all of that. But the end, Paul says, is destruction. Maybe everything they're doing seems fine. Maybe the culture commends it. Maybe there are no crazy immediate consequences, but in the end, the path is destruction. There is no way to have that short-sighted pleasure of sin and avoid its eternal consequences. They always come tied. The path leads to destruction. Paul wants us to be clear-eyed about this. So what is our hope? What is our hope then? Our hope is Jesus, because looking at Jesus unmasks the facade of sin. One of the things our culture does is it uses euphemisms for everything that sort of mask and hide the destructive reality of sin. We, we use language like they had an affair, not, oh, they committed adultery. They had an affair sounds like, oh, an affair, right? But looking at the example of Jesus looking at what Jesus holds out, looking at how Jesus himself is a picture, is, is how marriage itself is meant to be a picture of Jesus and the church, then in that context, you begin to see the reality of the destructive nature of sin. Jesus, looking at Jesus' example, helps us see which way is up, see what's really good and true and trustworthy and praiseworthy and what's abominable and wrong and should be turned away from. So when we follow people, we should be asking, do they look like Jesus? And if they don't look like Jesus, friends, they're leading us astray. But second, our hope is this, because if you're like me, there's probably areas of your life that you think, listen, I haven't, I have not 100% followed the example of Jesus. I haven't had, I haven't listened to godly advice. I've turned away from that. Then what's, 
you know, how do I get back on the path? Well, friends, the hope again is Jesus. So go back to Philippians chapter two, that because of Jesus, if we have trusted in him for our salvation, he has paid for our sins. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you today can have a new start in Christ. You think, man, I've been wandering in the weeds. The people I've been following, I see now their end is destruction. Today, if you confess your sins and trust in Christ, you can be washed, you can be saved, your guilt removed. Friends, I invite you to do that today. So ask yourself, are there some relationships that you need to turn away from? Are there some digital friends that you need to turn away from? Are there some changes you need to make? Section three, very briefly, the destination. Uh, Paul wants us to have a guide to watch out for the danger, but then he ends by giving us a clear view of where we are going. Listen, we are headed somewhere. And this is not the first time in the letter that Paul has brought this up. When I moved to the East Coast, I, I didn't realize how much of a problem it would be to navigate around. Because I've grown up in El Paso, and I've grown up with constantly being able to see the Franklin Mountains, right? So I know if you're on the west side, they're on this side. If you're on the east side, they're over here. And so if I ever got turned around, I'm like, which way is Montana? I would subconsciously see the mountain and think, oh, it's that way, right? I just, it just began to use that constantly. Except in Maryland, there are no mountains. There are only endless trees. And so I remember... Like every highway looks exactly like every other highway. It's like, I'm on Highway 8 now. No, I'm on Highway this now. I'm on, I'm on 270 now. Like, I just, and it was like, it was like, which way is north? I don't know. Maybe I can use the sun if I know, like, which way, the, you know, where the sun is. I couldn't. I mean, and so there were multiple times where I would think, this feels right. I'm going to turn this way. And I would just end up on 270, like going north. And I think, okay, that's definitely not where I wanted to be. And so I couldn't trust like my sense of direction because my sense of direction had been shaped by here's a big thing that kind of I orient all of my directions around. And in a similar way, Paul is trying to lay out for us, listen, remember where you're going. Keep that city in view. That way, in life, as you're kind of navigating around, you see that up ahead and you think, okay, I know I'm going there. I might have to take a side trail this way or side trail that way, but I'm going there. And if I end up with that thing to my back, then something's wrong. This is what Paul is doing. He says, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. See that up ahead? And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. Second time in the letter, he's brought this up. We talked about how in, in Philippi, the city was proud to be a Roman colony, colony, and the people born in this Roman colony would have been Roman citizens for the most part. And their identity as a city was rooted in the, in the fact that in Philippi, there was a registry of Roman citizens, and there was a desk, and on that desk, there was a book, and on that, in that book was a list of names who were Roman citizens. And very likely, in some form or fashion, that book was copied and sent to Rome so that somewhere in Rome, there was a book with their name on it that gave them unique rights and privileges that not everybody in the Roman world had. 
They were uniquely kind of given rights and privileges. And so their identity was wrapped up in the fact that, like, my name is written in that book. There is a place, my name is written there, and that's where I get my identity. And Paul is taking that and turning it on his head. He's saying, oh, there is a book. There is a book with your name written in it. But it's far more important than the book that sits on a desk in Philippi or a book that sits on the desk in Rome. It's written, your name is written in the book of life. Your home is in heaven. Don't forget where your true citizenship lies. Don't forget where your true country lies. Don't forget where north is. See that up ahead. That is where we're headed, and your name is written there. There's something in us, friends, as Christians, that is dissatisfied with the world around us, and gloriously so. We are not meant to be totally comfortable here. We're meant to long for our home in heaven. We all know it deep down. My dad, for some reason that we could not explain, growing up had this bizarre love of like cold northern and eastern European things. One time we went to this restaurant um, and out of all the restaurants we could have eaten, my dad really wanted to go to this restaurant, and this restaurant had a buffet, which is like, okay, there's a buffet, and a huge part of this buffet was cold fish of various kinds, like from Norway and Scandinavia or whatever, and he just was like, oh, this is so amazing, and he's getting the cold fish, and all of us are looking at him like, what is wrong with you? You are a Hispanic man. You're not meant to eat cold fish from these weird northern, eastern European countries. And he loved it. He would be fascinated. Like he would watch you know, those, those commercials for like the Viking river cruise through the north and there's ice and all kinds of stuff. He'd be like, oh, that looks beautiful. We're thinking, Dad, what is wrong with you? Well, then a few, weeks, a few months ago, he took one of those DNA tests and part of his heritage, a surprisingly large part, goes back to like the Ural Mountains in Russia and Eastern Europe. And we think that is so weird that somehow that has like survived and given him this love for cold fish, right? But it makes sense, finally, to us. And in a, in a sense, Christians are to be the same way. We are to love and long for this country that we have never even been to yet. We're supposed to have a taste for that country. We're supposed to get glimpses of it and think, oh, man, oh, man, that, that's where I want to go. That's where I'm longing for. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do. See, our, our challenge is not to be so captured by our earthly citizenship that we forget our heavenly citizenship. Friends, these people in Philippi would largely have been Roman veterans, okay, who did their 20 years service to the empire and now get a big tract of land and citizenship and are starting a family. And their whole 20 years would have been oriented to one day, 20 years from now, when I get out, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have my own land. I'm then going to really live. I'm going to live the Roman dream, right? These are the people that Paul is talking to. And so for us as Americans, we can't say, oh, well, he doesn't, Paul doesn't get it. No, 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 friends, we're, we're surrounded by the American dream where everything around us is saying, listen, forget about what's up ahead right now. Make your best life right now. Get everything you can right now. And Paul says, no, you're not meant to live here. You're meant to live there. So do you have the true home in view? The destination, though, that Paul talks about isn't just a place. It's wrapped up in a person. See, immediately upon bringing up our heavenly home, he brings up the person that defines it. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, like this is the best part, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul holds out for us a view of Christ. When my sister got married, the song that she and and Dylan picked for the recessional was this song about home that says, home, uh, let me go home. Home is wherever I'm with you. It's this beautiful thing in the recessional. But I think about that all the time because applied to this, our home is bound up with the person of Jesus. Home is essentially wherever he is. We long for that. And listen, Paul is trying to cultivate that longing in our hearts and and say, listen, don't don't be fooled by the dangers around you. Get yourself a good guide because we need to get home. And he brings up, in the end, what seems strange to us, the immense power of Jesus. He brings up that Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. See, Paul is pointing forward to the renewal of all things. He says, listen, you, you want to make life all about this body. Listen, this body's going to get transformed. You're going to get a better one. And the one who holds the power to renew your body and renew all creation, one day every knee will bow to him and all things will be subjected to him. And when you get a view of that day, the day when you are renewed, when all things are renewed, it finally lets you break free from the shackles of everything you think and see and feel around that's pulling for your attention. You say, listen, I'm going home because my Lord and Savior are there and one day all of this is gonna be renewed. So Paul then with urgency says, okay, good. You see it? Watch out for the danger. Get yourself a guide. So in in closing, I just want to say this. Right now, it's super tempting in a message like this to sort of bring up a a big church program of like mentorship and discipleship. You know, I wish I had like a big bunch of slides that I could roll out and say, okay, here's how we're going to do it. You want to be mentored? We have a program. You just get on the conveyor belt and we'll pop you out and you'll be discipled and mentored. Um, our culture loves that. We love that. We, we lo- we, we're constantly taken in by like those abomatic machines that have been around since the 60s, right? Where you could like, you ever seen this picture in the 60s? They had this thing where it would like be this big rubber band. It would like jiggle your stomach. And the goal was like, it's going to jiggle you to have chiseled abs. And the modern version of it is that weird thing that like pulses like your stomach. And listen, if those things really worked, wouldn't we all be using that? I know that's, a, that's how I know it doesn't work. And so we want to just like arrive and say, okay, Mentor me. I'd love to be mentored now. Let it happen. Connect me with the perfect mentor that I love and understands every area of my life. No, listen, mentorship and getting a good guide is harder than that, and it requires us to take the initiative. So I want to encourage you. This is my main encouragement. Find somebody that looks like Jesus and get near to them and ask lots of questions and commit. Commit to do that. Commit to make that part of your life. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What makes Pastor Ricky call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible? As we've been discovering in this series, it's because of the incredible good news the Apostle Paul has to share with us all. Pastor Ricky has been teaching verse by verse through this short but powerful New Testament letter, emphasizing the joy that can only be found in the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. 
We hope you've caught some of that joy as you listen today. If you want to listen to today's message again or explore more of the teachings available from Better News Radio, we'd encourage you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can also find more information about this ministry and subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to check out Pastor Ricky's Better News book, available for free online. This book answers questions about who Jesus is, why we all need to know Him, and how this knowledge can completely change our world. Feel free to download or share it with someone who may be asking these questions. We're so blessed to have you as our listeners, and we're thrilled that you joined us today. If you ever have any questions for us or would like to share a prayer request with us, please send an email to radio at betternewsradio.com. We'll reply as soon as we can, and we'll start praying even sooner. That email again is radio at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Join Pastor Ricky Alcantad next time to keep studying the happiest book in the Bible right here on Better News Radio.